Thank you so much. Come on, give it up for Pastor Ryan, Pastor Amy. Amazing, amazing leaders here at Generation Church and want to welcome all the campuses, all, the, all those watching online today. Come on, give a hand clap to everybody not here in the room. Fountain Hills, South Mountain, North Mountain, East Mountain, all the mountains. Everyone say amen. I'm so excited to be here. Uh, I'm honored to be uh, a guest and a friend of this house. And it was just really cool how God uh, connected me and your pastor. We actually met uh, on social media and became buddies online and uh, got to kind of catch up. And our churches are very similar. Uh, My wife and I started our church in beautiful Orange County, California. The nice part of California. (laughs) And uh, we moved from Boise, Idaho. I actually... I'm from California, moved to Idaho for 17 years, married the pastor's daughter, became the youth pastor. Someone say job security. And uh, we were youth pastors for 17 years, and then God gave us this crazy assignment to move back to California, somewhere I didn't know. Uh, I never, never been to Orange County, really, and didn't, didn't know anybody there. Started from the bottom, come on, like Drake, and uh, we, uh, that was a targeted joke, and uh, we we uh, started September 16th of 2018. Um, didn't know that we were going to start right before a global pandemic. I had no idea. People said, what's your church planning journey been like? I'm like, you seen the footage of the skiers out running avalanches? Pretty similar experience. And uh, it's been a wild three years. In 160 Sundays, we've seen almost 3,000 people get saved. And... Um, We believe that God's not done with California. Can I get an amen from somebody? Even if some of you moved here from there, we forgive you. And uh, don't tell anybody in Arizona that you're from California. uh, Because it's like Idaho. I'm like, all my California people that are going to Idaho, I'm like, just don't tell anybody. Change your license plates immediately. And they'll forgive you, hopefully, down the road. But uh, honored to be here with you today. I want to uh, thank my friend Micah as our youth pastor came uh, from California with me. Would you give Micah an Arizona hand clap? Him and his wife doing a phenomenal job. And my wife and my kids send their greetings. I've been married for 16 years this last week. Just celebrated our anniversary. I'm not sure. Do we have a picture of this service, guys, maybe, or no? Uh, no, no problem if we don't. Oh, there it is. It is. Oh, it's up there on the screen. Uh, that's my beautiful wife, Rochelle. I have a... a, a 13-year-old? She's 13. I fresh she's 13. Um, Lord Jesus, help me. And I have a six-year-old. That's Chloe. Uh, Chloe's like a blender missing a lid. And uh, she's a lot of fun, but a uh, beautiful family. They send their greetings, and it's an honor to be here in this great church here in Mesa, Arizona. Who, loves, who loves Arizona? Anybody love Arizona here? Any Cardinals fans in the house? A couple Cardinals fans. Phoenix Suns? Yeah. About 10 basketball fans in the house. Praise God. If you have your Bible this morning, uh, I'm not going to waste any more time. We'll jump right in this morning. I want to talk to you just for a few moments. I was praying, and Pastor Ryan's right. When you leave your, your church, it's especially a new church. Uh, I feel like I left my three-year-old uh, with the babysitter this weekend. So I've been checking on the babysitter the whole, whole time I've been here. I've been texting, how's it going today? Uh, did anything crazy happen? Uh, here's the emergency contact information. <laughs> if it gets crazy back home. But I, I did feel like God wanted me to come here. I felt like the Lord told me that I'm supposed to be friends with your pastors. And there's a very similar pers- spirit that your pastors have, that my wife and I have. Uh, and I think a lot of it, you know, we live, really there's two types of churches. 
Uh, there's those churches in the, you know, churches as far as Bible-believing churches. There's churches and pastors that believe that things are going to get worse, that the church is going to fall apart, and that Jesus is coming back for this kind of dilapidated, crippled church that has dentures, that's on a crutches, and they're just kind of in, the, in a cave, in a Christian ghetto, in the fetal position, sucking their thumbs, praying for a rapture. And there's churches like ours, like yours, that believe that Jesus is coming back for a glorious bride. Coming back for a church, like Ephesians 5 says, without spot and without wrinkles. Can I get an amen? Church with some Botox. Come on, somebody. It's an Orange County joke. I, uh, I do have a little bit of a sense of humor. You've got you to gotta forgive me. If you like boring preachers, you're dismissed. And uh, if you don't like laughing in church, you're not kind of like the next few, few moments. I try to tell a few jokes. I have kids, so they're dad jokes. Is that okay? Yeah. I'm excited. We're going to have a good time today. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 20. I want to talk to you a little bit about the glorious church. Is that okay? I don't know if you notice this. Anybody else notice? But we're kind of living in crazy days. Anybody else wake up and like, hey, what um, chapter of Revelations are we going to see today? You, you turn on the news, it's like, what, what craziness? How, who's, who's angry today? Who's mad at somebody today? And I'm not saying we don't have right reasons. I'm not saying things aren't wild. Um, things are being shaken right now. The Bible actually tells us that everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And I believe that God only shakes things to shake some stuff out and to shake some stuff in. And the only time I have a problem with shaking is when I don't know who's doing the shaking. But I believe that we have a God that's in charge of the shaking. Can I get an amen? And I do believe that whenever darkness comes in like a flood, the Bible says he raises up a standard. Can I get an amen? If I can't get a Pentecostal amen, I'll take a Baptist head nod. You can give me a Presbyterian eyebrow raise or a Latter-day Saint deep breath. Give me something. We're going to have a good time today. If you're brand new to church, most people don't like church because they say it's boring. They don't like church because they say you learn things that don't apply to everyday life. And some people don't like church because they say that the people in the church are judgmental. And I want you to know that there are churches like that, but you are not sitting in one of those churches today. Come on, do you believe that today? This is a great church. Got some faith in this church. It's a good-looking church. Low self-esteem, but good-looking church. And uh, we're going to open up, come on, Acts chapter 20. I'm going to read five verses if you're new to church today. I believe that God is going to speak to us from these five verses out of Acts chapter 20. I want to talk to you today on the subject of a glorious church. What does Christianity look like then in the beginning, and what is it supposed to look like now? Say with me, attitudes. I believe that the early church had an attitude that if we're not careful, we'll lose it today. Attitude is the little difference that makes a big difference. And I believe that how you see God will determine how you see the world. The relationship you have with God will determine the attitude you have when crazy things are happening out there in the world. I want you to know that it can rain outside. It can storm outside. You can be in a boat in the ocean in a storm. And you're okay as long as the outside water doesn't get inside of your boat. Come on, we are born to float. And you will float as long as the outside doesn't get inside. It's good preaching this morning. Can I get an amen? So this morning, I want to encourage you about what are we supposed to have on the inside of us? What type of attitude do we have as a glorious church? 
And if you're taking notes this morning, write down Glorious Church in my, my title of this talk, this message sermon, uh, whatever you like to call it, my thesis this morning, is it is, it is what it isn't. <clears throat> Say isn't. Isn't. And I'll talk a little bit, explain that. Uh, Acts chapter 20. Let's read this together. Let's, let's all lean in today. It says, now on the first day of the week, which day was it? I like it when you talk back to me. What day was it? First day of the week, they came to break bread. Scholars argue if it was Chick-fil-A or In-N-Out. Come on, somebody. They were getting ready to desert the next day, so uh, Paul continued his message until midnight. Midnight. Long message, long church service. They've been going long since the beginning. There were many lamps in the upper room where they gathered together, and in a window. In a what? Come on, help me out, Generation Church. In a what? In a window sat a certain young man. Notice it's always those Gen Zers. Young man named Eutychus, TikToker, right? Named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep. Deep sleep. Is that a church service? Deep sleep. Who's been to that church before? Don't raise your hand. Deep sleep during the church service. He was overcome by sleep. And as Paul continued speaking, he fell from the window, fell down from the third story, and was taken up dead. Dead. Church got really interesting that day. Paul went down from the three stories, fell on top of him, embraced him, and he said, do not trouble yourselves, for his life is in him. His life is in him. Now he came back to life, apparently, verse 11, and when they had come back upstairs, they broke more bread. Come on. Must have been in and out because Chick-fil-A is closed on Sundays. <laughs> Tough crowd. And when they came up, they broke more bread. They talked a long while until daybreak. It was an all-nighter. Come on, church was raging. And they brought the young men in alive, and they were not a little comforted. Dr. Luke, that writes the book of Acts, goes, people were fired up. It went from a good service to a great service. Can we talk about the glorious church today? Is that all right? Who believes that Jesus has come back for a glorious bride? Yeah. I'd say 50% of the room, so I'm in the right room today. You guys ready? Let's pray. God, we just love you. We honor you. We invite you to meet us here today. I pray, Lord, whether this is our first time ever in a church or we come consistently week in, week out faithfully, I ask you that you would meet us here today. Would you show us Jesus? Would you make us more like him? Would you fill us with the spirit of Jesus today? Would you, do what the, would you do what the early church experienced? Would you do the miracles, signs, and wonders today that we see in the Bible? God, I believe in a generation church, they believe that what you did in Galilee, you can do here in Mesa, Arizona today. You can do it in South Mountain, North Mountain, and the East Mountain. You can do it in Fountain Valley and Fountain Hills. I pray, Lord, today that you would meet people all over Arizona and here in this church. God, we pray blessing over the Cardinals and the Suns. We pray for a championship season. Even bless the Diamondbacks. In Jesus' name, God's people said. That's a good prayer right there. Someone's like, we had to invite this guy to Thanksgiving. I, uh, I don't know about you, but there's some people that say words repetitively. You ever met someone that says a certain word repetitively? You ever met a uh, literally person? You know the person that says literally like every two sentences? No, literally. They say literally all the time. Like literally we're going out to lunch afterwards and literally I ordered ribs and literally it was so good. Literally. It's like, okay, I get it. You're being honest right now. People say phrases. They don't even know they're saying it sometimes. I don't know if you ever met someone that, that cusses profusely. You ever met a cusser that just every couple words is like just something dirty. You're like, I got to take a shower. Um, I feel violated. 
I have noticed that cussers, though, if you cuss a lot, real cussers that cuss all the time, they seem to use the word Jesus Christ, though, too. And I'm convinced if you're an atheist today, one of the reasons you got to believe there's power in the name, because we don't cuss in the name of Buddha. We don't cuss in the name of Muhammad. Why would someone that doesn't believe in God use the name Jesus Christ? Because even those that don't believe feel the power. Are you hearing me today? Yeah, yeah, I feel like preaching a little bit in Arizona this morning. I'm telling you this morning that there is power in names, and there's, there's power in our words. And, and even today, we are made in the image of God. What we say matters. And there's sometimes we get in this rut that we let society govern our vocabulary. We know it governs our vocabulary because we say the same thing that everybody else says. We watch the same note, same, same nose, it just noses everywhere on the TVs. We watch the same news, and we respond the same way. We, we go, that's awful, that's terrible. And if you've ever met a it is what it is person, you ever met one of those people? It's like anything negative happens, they're like, well, just it is what it is. <laughs> Ran out of gas, it is what it is. Politician I voted for didn't win, it is what it is. Things are going to hell, it is what it is. It's like, can we muster some faith? I think that phrase is one of the laziest phrases in the human vernacular. That, yeah, that phrase is like a raft with a giant hole in it going down a class four rapid. It is what it is. I'm picking on that phrase today because I feel like if we're not careful today in America, the church will adopt a apathetic attitude of faith that when we see negative things happening in the world, we start accepting them at face value and we say, it just is what it is. The Bible I read didn't have that attitude towards difficulties. The Bible I read, when they saw persecutions, they didn't have a it is what it is attitude. When the church was persecuted, you know what they did is they prayed. They say, God, look at their threats. God, look at the darkness going on in D.C. Look at the darkness going on right now in the world. And with signs, wonders, and miracles, would you fill us with boldness that we don't lay over and die, but we rise and we preach? Can I get a real amen? God is looking for a victorious church, a church that has signs, wonders, and miracles following the preaching, the living, and the leading of God's people. I believe that Jesus is coming back for a church that's more powerful than the one that he left. Yeah, anybody believe, who believes that in Arizona? I'd say I appreciate the golf clap. We'll keep going. I read Acts chapter 20. You see the attitude of St. Paul. You gotta understand that day in that city that was the most dynamic church service in the world. Imagine having Billy Graham come to Mesa, Arizona, come to Generation Church. We're advertising the event. They're like, man, the great Billy Graham, the great Reinhardt Bonnke, the great, the great, the great Apostle Paul. He's coming to our church. Social media is buzzing. Everyone's posting about it. We're advertising it. It's in the newspapers. The news is talking about it. Pastor Paul is coming to Mesa, Arizona. People are fired up. There's standing room only. There's donkeys lining the streets. Overflow parking. Come on, somebody. Church is buzzing. Everyone's excited. This is the great apostle Paul. And it's crazy because Dr. Luke traveled with Paul. And Dr. Luke, he has the, the sense of humor to document that in the most vibrant electric church in the world that night, 
there was a young man that had the audacity to fall asleep. Leads me to believe this, that the church you go to should not determine the flame of faith that you have. Do you know that you can go to a fiery church, a a, a church that's burning for God, that's on fire for God, and still fall asleep spiritually? Do you know that it's not the faith behind the pulpit that determines the faith that's behind the pew? I believe that you can go to a boring church and have a vibrant faith, and you can go to a dynamic church like this and still be spiritually apathetic. I believe it's secondhand Christianity that's killing people today. You know what secondhand Christianity is? It's dangerous. Secondhand smoke is when you actually live off of someone else's smoke. Secondhand Christianity is when you have a relationship with God through somebody else. God doesn't want you to live in someone else's smoke. He wants you to have your own fire. Yeah, amen. I'm sorry, I got to settle down. I thought it was first service. Today, I feel so strong that God wants us to break out of this, this apathetic faith that goes, we just have to accept what is and just, just get along with it. I believe this is the church's finest hour. Historically, revival has never hit America out of seasons of prosperity. Historically, it's always come off the heels of war, out of famines, out of, out of, out of great recessions, depressions. It's always been out of trying, turbulent seasons that wakes up the church to rise into a rightful place. And we are in no, no different times today. We have to answer the question, shall we be the church of the Bible or not? Can God do today what he did then? And we are of the persuasion, I'm pretty sure in this church, that God can still do the impossible today. Yeah, 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 yeah. So settle down a little bit. Church is vibrant. Everyone's fired up. Church is standing room only. In the very back of the church, there's a young man named Eutychus. Eutychus is an interesting name. Eutychus, it's fun to say. It's like saying Francisco. Eutychus, Eutychus. Eutychus is a young man. And Eutychus falls asleep during the greatest Bible teacher teaching God's word in the most dynamic church service on the earth that night. And when he falls asleep, he doesn't just fall asleep. This this bonehead, come on, forgive me. He doesn't just fall asleep. He falls asleep in the only dangerous place to fall asleep. Have you thought about this before? Like, dude, if you would have fallen asleep on the front row, you would have fallen to the ground. 17 inches would have been embarrassing, but you would have been fine. You had the audacity to fall asleep in the only dangerous place. You fall asleep at the window, not just any window, a third story. Sometimes we read the Bible, we don't really think about, contextualize what is going on here. He falls asleep in the dangerous place of the church. And I would tell you today that you can still fall asleep in the church in dangerous places. And they're still called windows. Let me explain what a window is. A window separates the outside from the inside. Wow. Say it with me. Wow. That was powerful observation. Come on, say it backwards. Wow. Say it upside down. Mom. Uh, We'll keep going. I... uh, Windows separate the outside from the inside. Okay, that's, that's significant. Well, if you're in Idaho, where I grew up and lived for 17 years, in the wintertime, it can be freezing, freezing cold outside, and my wife likes the opposite of whatever the normal weather is. Any of us married to that girl? If it's hot outside, she wants it f- like 42 degrees in the car, in the house. If it's cold outside, she wants it 89. She wants whatever's not happening. Are you following me? So in Idaho, it'd be negative 
three degrees outside, in our house would be like, you know, 94. And the window would be where the hot air and the cold air met. And when, when, when uh, the Apostle John has a vision of the end times church, he says to the Laodiceans, he goes, there's one thing I got, you got a lot of things right, there's one thing you screwed up, there's one thing, you, look, you do a lot of good deeds, you're generous, you take care of orphans and widows, you're doing a lot of good stuff, there's one thing that you've messed up though, is you've lost your first love and you're lukewarm. Lukewarm, you know what that is? It's when hot water and cold water collide. It's when hot air and cold air collide. Do you know what's dangerous in the church? Is when you want to be in the church enough to go to heaven, but still close enough to enjoy a little bit of your old life. That's the window. Windows, when you get so close, you're like, I'm in the house of God, but I still have easy access into my Friday night routines, still like to do some of the old stuff I used to do before I tasted God's goodness. And I'm telling you today that there's Christians that are spiritually sleeping, falling, and dying. Not because God's not moving in the church, it's because you are so close to the window. Windows will mess you up, though. They'll confuse you. If you live with perpetual confusion, it's, it's, it's likely that you are living a window Christianity. Window Christianity is frustrating, though, because you know enough about God that you can't enjoy the world, but you know enough about the world that you can't fully enjoy God. It's a maddening place to live. But we see so much in North America Christianity today, people that go, I want to go to church and have the rewards of heaven. I just want to keep living like hell while I'm alive. I'm still going to get divorced the same, still going to be addicted the same, I'm still going to be an alcoholic the same, still going to be addicted to pornography the same. I'm, gonna, I'm going to heaven, but I still have my old Egyptian mind. And I believe that God didn't just die to get you to heaven. Bible I read says that died, Jesus died to get heaven into us. He says when you pray, pray this way, on earth as it is in. Do you know there's no addictions in heaven? There's no alcoholism in heaven. There's no pain pill addictions in heaven. Pornography addictions in heaven. There's no cutting in heaven. There's no suicide in heaven. And we tolerate things in earth that is not tolerated in heaven. I feel like I'm kicking some sacred cows, but I kind of like it. Come on, let's go cow tipping right now. You guys ready? I am persuaded that Jesus wants us to have a belief that he can change anything. You read the story, what happens? He falls out of the window. The first thing we know about him is his priorities are messed up. How do you know Lucky, his name, by the way, is Lucky. Fortunate, uh, his name, Eutychus, translates into fortunate or lucky. Don't tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor. The only guy to fall asleep in the only dangerous place in the only church that was experiencing that level of revival that night was a young Gen Zer TikToker named Lucky. <laughs> Lucky falls out of the window. Can you imagine the commotion in the back of the service? The ushers and the security team are kind of scattered in the back, <sighs> talking to one another. What are we going to do? No, I'm not doing it. You do it. No, I'm not doing it. You do it. You go tell them. I'm not telling them. You tell them. And someone draws a small straw, walks up onto the side of the stage, sheepishly in the middle of the message. I love awkward church moments. I'll be honest. This would have been hilarious. 
Paul is like, you know, and blessed are those who persecute you and pray for your enemies. And blah, blah, blah. He's, just, he's quoting Jesus. And then you have this guy awkwardly like, um, Pastor Paul, this is a great message. We have a little bit of a situation. Um, there's a young guy named Lucky. He's not lucky anymore. He fell out of the window of the church and they said he's dead. You know what lucky saving grace was? Is that he was positioned in the church. I would tell you today that we all go through seasons of life that we fail, that we fall. But if you fall out of the club, no one has anything to offer you. You fall out of a social club, no one has anything to offer you. But when you fall out of the church, there's someone in that room that had enough faith to go, look, I don't believe that God can do anything, but I believe that Pastor Paul has some faith, and maybe he can do something. When he fell out of the window, someone, someone noticed that, okay, someone was, Lucky was at that window, and he's not there anymore. Where did Lucky go and walk to the window? Oh, no. Lucky, you know what the saving grace is? is being a part of a, a dynamic church and that when you go through a season that maybe you fail, you fall, you go through a trial, a persecution, a, a turbulent moment, is if you're involved in this church enough that if you were to leave tomorrow, someone would notice, where did they go? And if you could leave Generation Church today and no one would ever notice that you're missing, you could die this week and no one from this church would know that you're missing, no one would go to your funeral, I would tell you today that you are not in the house of God enough. Lucky's saving grace was that someone noticed him not there anymore. And they came to the window and they said, he's down there. Paul could have easily gone to that place and judged him. And that's what, that's what religion does. Religion is critical. It looks down at people. It judges people. You're an idiot. That's what you deserve. You shouldn't sleep during my, my sermons. Religion looks down and judges people. But Paul does what Jesus does to us. He came down to his level. He went down not one, not two. He went down three flights of stairs. He fell on his body. Someone say, why would you fall on a dead body? Maybe he was thinking about Elijah in 1 Kings 17. Maybe you see about Elisha when he, when he brought the woman, the, the Shunammite woman's son back to life by laying on top of him. I believe that Paul was thinking, wait, the Bible says that Elisha, it was the heat in his body that warmed up the cold corpse. And maybe Christians are supposed to have such a fire and a passion and such a firm faith that we're so hot on the inside that when we get around dead things, they start warming up again. You know the difference between a thermometer and a, and a thermostat is? A thermometer actually sets the temperature. Thermostats just tell you what it is. We got a bunch of Christians today, they're like, it's cold outside right now. The society's cold. The politics are cold. The, the government is cold. The economy is cold. Everything is really dead and stale and cold and kind of dark and wicked. It's all just cold. And we're just talking about the temperature instead of setting it. When I go to my thermostat, I go, no, 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 I don't like this cold. Let's get warm right now. God puts a faith inside of us that goes, you know what, God, I'm made in your image. I can bring change to my office. I can bring change to my city. I'm telling you that it's churches on fire that, light, that, that warm up dead cities. 
And I'll tell you today that the more that America looks like Rome, the more that the church has to look like the book of Acts. We can't settle for this lukewarm, half-hearted, we're going to go to heaven one day, pie in the sky, sirrah, sirrah, it is what it is. Just is what it is. It's not what it is. There's something that Jesus offers humanity that no one else on the earth offers. Here it is. You can change. No, I can't. I was born this way. I was born an addict. I was born a pervert. I was born angry. I was born confused. I was born. Well, Nicodemus at night, say it with me, Nick at night. Nick at night comes to Jesus, and Jesus goes, hey, Nick, at night, um, guess what? You can only enter into my kingdom if you're born... Why would he say born again? I think that Jesus knew some of the arguments that were going to be circulating today. And he's like, oh, you were born that way? Good news, we're all born again. So if you didn't come out of the womb the right way, you can come out of the kingdom. You come into the kingdom the right way. I was born looking like my dad, but I die looking like my heavenly father. I believe that you come from your you came through your parents, but you came from God. And you're made in the image of God. In the image of man, God made us. And I'm telling you today, you might, you might have been born an addict, born depressed, born discouraged, but Jesus died on the cross to give us a new bloodline. It's, yeah, I feel like I appreciate the golf clap. That was, that was better than your response, but being honest. Let's keep going today. You guys still with me? I believe that this window story teaches us. He walks down three flights of stairs, and uh, he, his position was, he, he positions himself there and I just noticed this. I was reading through this passage, and it says that he pursued Eutychus. He went down to where he was. He pursued him there. And I was praying for your church. I was praying for America. I'm praying for the church. I think this is our finest hour. I believe that when things get dark and scary, this is the greatest opportunity for the light to shine. Can I get an amen to that? This is our finest hour. And if we don't shine when it's dark, why would we bother shining when it's bright out? The bright times don't need our light. It's the dark moments that do. And Eutychus, he's dead on the ground. And I felt like the Lord said, Mark, this is the hour for the church. To not just have church, but to be the church. I could have titled this message, When the Church Stopped Doing Church and the Church Started Being the Church. Paul stopped the service, walked down three flights of stairs, fell on him, embraced him, and proclaimed over him, you're not dead. There's still life in you. You know what Christians are supposed to do? When things die, when things are dying, when things are dark, discouraging, there's no hope, we're supposed to be the ones with the word of the Lord in our mouths that actually go down to the broken places. I think that part of the problem we are in some of the mess that we're in is that in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, we had this ideology and this eschatology that we have to retreat from society. We have to form Christian ghettos. We have to be in the world but not of the world. So we have to separate ourselves. We got to avoid culture, get out of media, get out of politics, get out of Hollywood, get out of, get out of this, get out of the stock industry, get out of all this. And we, we retreated from culture and we let the world lead society. And I'll tell you, when we retreat from society, we can't complain when it goes to hell. Listen to me. God can deal with a wicked city if it's wicked. He just can't deal with it if the, if the righteous are silent. Sodom and Gomorrah was not destroyed because of how wicked it was. It was destroyed because of how unrighteous the righteous were. 
And God is looking in this window of time in America. He's not saying, look, America, yeah, there's some wickedness in our land. But if the church will be a glorious bride, if we'll stand up and say, no, ask for me, ask for my house, we're going we're gonna to serve the Lord. We're not going to settle for what it is. We're going to take the gospel into our boardrooms, our classrooms. We're going to take it into our locker rooms. We're going to take it into our neighborhoods. We're going to do Bible studies. We're going to pray. We're going to believe God. We can't do that. Separation, church, and state. I wish some Christians in America would actually study the real history. Do you know that our founding fathers didn't separate the church from the state to keep the church out of the state? They separated to keep the state out of the church. That's why it says, in God we trust on our money. That's why it says, one nation under God. People, they have this weird ideology that, that we're supposed to push. No, 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 no. Your Christianity is private. It's not private. One third of overcoming the devil is by, it says what? We overcame by the blood of the lamb and by the what? The words of our testimony. Whose idea was it to keep it to yourself? The devil's? It's like when you see a bear just roll over and play dead. It's like, who came up with that idea? The bears? <laughs> you keep it to yourself. I'm not keeping it to myself. If I saw a semi driving down the road and you were in the middle of it, how much do I have to hate you to do nothing? If I really love you, I'm going to tackle you. You might get mad that I hit you. But after you see the semi pass by, you're going to go, oh, thank you. I'd rather bruise somebody in love than let someone die in my silence. Are you hearing me today? And I know that what I'm preaching is not culturally normal. I'm not really into the politically correct preaching. I heard your pastor's not either. I'd rather smack people with truth than kiss them with lies. And we live in a day and age that all these preachers are telling you all these little itching ears. God just wants to love you and there's no right and there's no wrong. Let's just all be happy. But grace without truth is like, it's like a bottle of medicine with no pills in it. And truth without grace is like a surgery with no anesthesia. We need grace and we need truth. And today you go to churches that are full of grace and there's no truth. And people are just as broken as when they came in. You know what a healthy, glorious church is? It's where our sins go to die. Yeah, yeah, it's where we become like Jesus. If you go to this church for a year and you don't feel like you're more like God, something's not right. You should feel convicted when you go to church. Really? I just, I feel, I just feel like peaches and warm fuzzies and like just love. Look, if that was my attitude about the gym, I'd never work out. Because I would go and I'd feel good while I'm there, but I'd never see results. You know when I usually know that I'm changing in the gym is when my trainer, come on, Gemini, when Gemini makes me feel uncomfortable in the gym. And I'm sweating. He's like, come on, you got three more. I'm like, I don't have one more left. My favorite machine, Gemini, is the vending machine. <laughs> and he's making me sweat. And he's pushing me. And I'm like, oh, I'm straining. Ah, I don't like you. I don't like you sometimes. I think if, you're, if your church is doing it right, there should be times like, I don't know if I like this message. You don't need a coach you always agree with. You need a coach that's going to teach you how to win the victory for God. Yes. You still with me today? I only have two hours left, so I want to honor this time. I believe that God is looking for a church that proclaims his word over what's dead. 
Right now, there's some stuff in Arizona that's kind of dead, God. We believe that you can revive it. Revive us according to your word. Where are the believers that believe that, come on, when I declare God's word, I'm not talking about word of faith, kind of crazy, name it, claim it, blab it, grab it. I'm talking about, like, there is truth in declaring God's word. What I've found is any, any theology that gets out of balance, there's usually, even though maybe it got corrupted, there's still truth somewhere buried underneath the controversy. I think some people took the word of faith thing a little too far. I don't think everyone's going to have a Rolls Royce in a, in, a, in a Learjet and live in a you know, 25,000 square foot house. But I do believe that, w- that when God's word is in our mouth, it's like it when it's, it, it's, it's, it's the same as when it's in his mouth. Reinhard Bonnke said, when I declare God's word in my mouth, it's the same as God declaring it from his mouth. There is power in God's words. And he fell on him. We need some Christians to actually make contact with the world. We need some people to rise up out of this church and run for governor. We need people to rise up out of this church and become CEOs and executives and educators and lawmakers and police officers. Are you hearing me today? We need us to be salt and light. Christians shouldn't get involved in that stuff. No, 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 no. We have to. If we don't lead, someone that doesn't know God is going to lead us. And I'd rather be led by someone that knows Jesus and honors this book than by a bunch of wicked people that are leading us the wrong way. Yeah, I, I'm preaching this morning. We had a guy in our church run for governor. was one of the top guys that ran for governor. We have people in our church that are some of the biggest CEOs, executives. We got A-list celebrities. These people that God is revolutionizing their hearts, baptizing these guys. Baptized a guy in a $35 million house. Never seen Jesus. Uses the F word like I use the. But God is revolutionizing this guy's heart. I could tell you story after story. Where we are bold in our faith, God will come in a bold way. Where are the Christians that don't settle? It just is what it is. It's not what it is what it is. Paul would have had the attitude. He would look down and go, oh, find out who Lucky's parents are. Send them flowers. Hey, guys, let's take an offering for Lucky's family. We'll help pay for the funeral. It is what it is. I wonder if Mark chapter 2, when there was a lame man and Jesus came into his town, I wonder if those four friends of his, if they would have had a it is what it is attitude. I don't think we'd ever read the story in Mark chapter 2 about a lame man being lowered through a ceiling of a house getting healed. Can you imagine if they were like, oh, you're lame. God must want you to be this way. It is what it is. Oh, you were born sick. Oh, God must have wanted you sick. Maybe he's trying to teach you something. I have a problem with any theology that thinks that God is trying to teach you something by putting sickness on you. That is a demonic theology. How many of you would say, if you could, I'm going to lock my kids outside so they get a cold so they, they learn how to clean their room? You go to jail or a mental hospital for actually getting your kids sick to teach them a lesson. The Bible says you on your best day to your kids is evil compared to how good God is to us. God doesn't put sickness on us to teach us a lesson. He's a God that heals does he heal every time you pray, preacher? No, he doesn't. But that's not, that's not supposed to stop us from praying. 
Outcome is God's job. Obedience is mine. Amen? We got to make contact. We got to embrace some of this dead stuff and say, in Jesus' name, it's not going to stay dead. This marriage is not going to stay dead in Jesus' name. This back is going to stay screwed up forever in Jesus' name. God, you can heal my body. You can, you can deliver me from cancer. You can deliver me from ulcers. You can deliver me from depression. Being bipolar, God, you can do anything. You talk like this today, some people go, oh. no, I, I study the Bible. You can't academically. No, you can't. Like, no, it's, it's hard to. Listen to me. Whenever... Your theology requires zero faith. You can't please God. Hebrews 11. For without faith, it shall be impossible to please God. So how do you know? Well, if you believe with no miracle, the miracles weren't for today, that God wasn't going to come back for a glorious church, here's my problem with your eschatology and your theology. It requires zero faith. It is what it is. That theology, it requires zero faith. So I can live my whole life sitting on my hands saying, I'm going to heaven one day, but nothing's going to change here. Zero faith. It doesn't say that all things are possible to those who can explain it. All things are possible to him who can explain the explainedness. It says, no, all things are possible to him who believes. Did you know that the world calls us believers? Even though a lot of churches, they don't believe. Can I remind us as believers, sons and daughters of God, that listen to me, the Bible says in John, what does it say, John 14 says, as he is, so are we. No, no, it says in John 14, greater works will you do because I go to the Father. John 1, 1 John 4, it says that greater works will we do. It says, as he is, so are we in this world. I believe that Jesus isn't coming back for this powerless, toothless church that's just begging on the side of the road, praying to be raptured. He's coming back for a church that has signs, wonders, and glory. He's coming back for a church that is glorious, a good-looking wife. People think the end times, the church is going to be dilapidated, and Jesus has to swoop in and rescue us so we don't get overcome by the big bad dragon. It's not the Bible I read. He's coming back to get married to a good-looking wife. The bride of Christ. How many here want to marry a bride that's not, that's not good looking? Nobody. And I'll tell you that Jesus is no different. He's coming back for a wife that is beautiful. The church will be glorious when Jesus returns. Come on, if you're going to clap, give God a good hand clap today. I'm finished up. Can I pray for us today? Why don't you stand your feet? I'm going to pray that God would heal some people today. You really believe that? Yeah, I do. I prayed for a guy named Iman. Doctor said he's going to die. I told the story last service. I didn't mention last service that they said that he had zero chance of surviving, that no one that sick with COVID has ever come back. He was on a ventilator, I think, for 60-something days. And they said, yeah, he's, he's, they said, come to the, the hospital, say goodbye, plan his, his funeral. I went to the house, never even met his wife before. She was crying. Two little girls, they're crying. And I prayed with every ounce of faith that I had, like it was my daughters that were crying, like my wife was crying. We don't need pastors that are comforting people before it's over. We need some leaders today in the body of Christ that say, look, if Jesus had an attitude for miracles, if Peter and Paul had an attitude for miracles, if they believe that God can change things, I believe he can change things. Mark 16, and these signs shall follow those that believe. 
They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. You either believe the Bible or you don't believe the Bible. I don't have any scriptures that say, and when the apostles die, so will the power of God. He's still here today. Well, my pastor says in my old church that miracles don't happen, and he got exactly what he believed for. But listen, if Jesus wasn't scared of a theology, I'm not scared of it. If Jesus wasn't scared of miracles, I'm not scared of miracles. If Jesus wasn't scared of the Holy Spirit, I'm not scared of the Holy Spirit. Is there anybody in this church mind fired up today? I believe he's going to heal somebody right now. If you need a physical healing, just raise your hand right now. I'm praying right now. If it's cancer, if you have arthritis, someone in here, you've been trying to get pregnant. I believe that we serve a God that can open up the barren womb. We serve a God that can open up blind eyes, deaf ears. Our church has grown like it has because God does miracles every single week at Ocean's Church. Next time you go to Disneyland, come visit us. I pray right now in Jesus Christ's name that any spirit in this room that's not the Holy Spirit, I command you to loose your grip. Spirit of fear, loose your grip. Spirit of death, loose your grip. I pray today, Lord, that spirit of suicide, I evict you today over anyone that's depressed in this room. I pray that who the Son sets free is free indeed. So I pray if you need a healing in your body, just lift both hands towards heaven. I pray that you put your power in their hands. I pray from the bottom, uh, the bottom of their, their, their feet to the tops of their head. If it's cancer, if it's an eating disorder, if it's a broken heart, a broken mind, we say, Lord, today would you heal me? Come on, sometimes the only voice you believe is your own. Say this, Lord, heal me. I ask you to heal me everywhere that I hurt, everywhere that I'm sick. Holy Spirit, would you come in this church today? Would you fill it with your glory? Fill it with your glory. He's healing someone right now. Someone here, you have like really bad arthritis. It just came on you this year. Hit you hard this year. No one in your family even has arthritis. You're even too young to have arthritis, and God is healing you right now. I believe there's someone in this room, they have a serious, you had a bad accident, you're in a red car, and it was like a, a severe accident, and it messed up your right hand. There's bones in your right hand that were broken. I saw it last night. God spoke to me about it. He said, declare it today. God is healing someone's bones in their hands right now in Jesus' name. That's weird. This guy is psychic. No, I'm, I'm a son of God. Jesus said, my sheep know my... It's not weird when someone hears God's voice. It's weird to be a Christian and not know his voice. I say today in Jesus' name, anyone that needs healing, lift your hands. I pray you'd fill them right now. Right now. Someone's L4, L5, heal it right now. Someone's ankle, Lord, being healed right now. Someone has metal in their hip, I pray you'd heal it right now. Right now, right now in Jesus' name. Right now in Jesus' name. I pray miracles to flow right now. Right now. Last thing we're going to do today, if you're here, just put your hands down for a minute. He's healing somebody. Last thing we're going to do, if you're here and you're not living for God and with him, and you say, Mark, I want to be a part of the glorious church. I want to be a son and a daughter of God. I'm out of time. Would you raise your hand on the count of three all over the church today? Say, I'm rededicating my life to Jesus today, or for the first time, I'm going to put my faith in God. Would you, I don't care what campus you're at. If you're at the East Mountain, West Mountain, North Mountain, if you're out in Fountain Hills, Valley, whatever, I pray right now, wherever you're at, I pray God would heal and save right now. If you want to rededicate your life, or for the first time, Put your faith in God. At every campus and in this room, would you raise your hand right now? If you're online, maybe right now online, just type in heart, H-E-A-R-T, right now. 
all over the room. Would you raise your hand? I pray all over the room. There was 20 last service. There's three, real high, real high, four, five, six, seven, eight, real high, nine, 10, real high, 11, real high, real high, real high, 12, 13. I see 13 hands in here, 14 hands in here. Generation Church, let's pray with those 14 today. Say it like you mean it. Jesus, I invite you into my life. Would you forgive me? Would you heal me? And would you fill me with your glorious Holy Spirit? From this day forward, lead me, guide me, and direct me in Jesus' name. If you believe it, come on, say amen.